Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul Angeline. And today we're talking about good reasons for new additions. Right. To your RPG role playing game. Right. Your RPG. It's the same thing I said. So every once in a while, a new addition might pop up to your favorite role-playing game or a role-playing game you play. It doesn't have to be your favorite, right? Or a role-playing game you've never played. Or one you never haven't played. Is there ever a good reason to have a new role-playing game or a new addition, I should say? And I think for the most part, if you really like the game you're playing, you like to set the rules, the set of rules, and you don't need a new addition because you're fine and having fun, which is the whole point of playing games. But when a new addition does when a new edition comes out that that makes it a better role playing game, uh, maybe a better experience for people or easier to get into. That they tweak the rules a little bit. Right. So I think there's like three things in my mind that make a new edition You wrote valuable. down four things. It I think I, I crossed out the last one. Okay. So uh the first one is like uh, modernization of the rules. The second one is streamline the rules, and third is advancing the the game world or the setting. So those are pretty good places to start. So modernization of rules, and I think D and D is a classic example of something that happens with the rules and how it's changed over its well five iterations, right? If you over forty five years, over forty five years, and I guess it's more than just five editions because if you talk about original D and D. Then there's first edition, second edition, third edition, fourth edition, and fifth edition. So that's six iterations. But uh, if you look at original D and D, and you see the difference between that and advanced Dungeons and Dragons, I'm not going to talk about the basic set or the expert set, which adds another yet another edition. But let's not talk about those. So from uh, original D and D to advanced Dungeons and Dragons, exactly what I'm talking about about modernization of the rules. It became a little bit easier to understand. The rules were a little bit better written, even though a lot of people complain about Gary Gygax's Gygaxian speak. Uh, I didn't have seen to have a problem with it. The rules were, uh, like I said, better explained. They were uh, better thought out. There was addition to additional rules. There were tweaks to almost everything in the original D&D, from character classes to to just rules about combat and how about how things work it made it a better game i believe and so when when advanced dungeon dragons came out we switched from original D to advanced D. it wasn't like a you know a difficult thing to do now we never really switched to second edition D, and i think a lot of that was because we were perfectly happy with a D. yes advanced dungeons there are dragons. still people who are perfectly happy with a D. It's exactly right. You know, if you're perfectly happy with the rules as they stand, then there's no reason to change. So I didn't change to second edition. I thought second edition was kind of like, it was like a patchwork job of, to me, it was a patchwork job for advances in Dragons. They tried to add, add skills that AD&D didn't have, and it didn't work very well. Uh, and then a couple other things. They came out with TAC, TACO, which made it to hit armor class zero because supposedly made it easier for people to understand how combat the table worked or how to <laughs> not have to use a combat table which was fine but i think uh, a lot of people don't like taco other people love it but that's the way new editions work they have people who do like them and people who don't so in that sense uh, AD&D was for me a, a good a good set of rules 
that we naturally went to and played and picked up from original D&D. When years later, when I'm at a hobby shop, I see third edition and I'm looking at the rules and I'm like, wow, this is really neat. And it was a now from AD&D, second edition to third edition. It's a it's a large leap in uh, in the way the rules are written. And you could see how modern ideas about were trying to be in, implemented into D&D. The I, skills became not something like there was an add-on, but it was integral part of the game. Uh, the, you know, there was a skill list. It was something that had not that was not part of the AD and D. There was a big change, and I really liked it. I thought it was a good idea. Also, other ideas of how me- mechanically how the combat worked. You got rid of the combat table. You instead had a target number. You know, still armor class. Uh, to me, I thought that was a really neat idea. And I really liked it, and I was really happy to start buying the third edition books. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with tables, but <laughs> you still don't like them, though. They, they, they make it. They slow it down a little bit. Well, so does looking up what what skill you have to add to your dice. But you should know that when you're going to roll it, right? Right. But I think those are those are just ways that things evolve. So putting out new editions, right, is. You, you call it modernizing, but I think it's the evolution of the game as people are playing it more and more. It evolves, so they want to have rules because everybody makes homebrew rules to go with their game or they adjust the rules to fit their, their style, right? A lot of people do that, yeah. I know there are some people, you call it raw, which I think is silly, but whatever. Rules as written, yes. I agree to there's people that do like homebrewing and do like changing the rules, but then there's people who... Rules as written. They always want to know what the rules say about the. I mean, if you well, go, those to, must be the. That, those are the people why we have new rules. Besides, <laughs> just I mean, D and D's been around for forty five years now, right. so the evolution of the game is obviously going to happen because the kids that started playing it in the seventies, not to mention the the grown grown ups, but not you know just the teenagers and stuff, are now. 45 years older so they've been playing it for a long time and have probably evolved themselves oh yeah that's definitely that that's happened exactly me i started when i was 11 and 78 and now i'm 53 so that's 42 years or something like that of playing and i've changed as, as what i used to do and what i wanted to do and how i played the game but this is not about me right so <laughs> So modernization, I consider it modernization because what happened to me, what happened with especially the jump from AD&D slash second edition to third edition, they saw a lot of other RPG creators, what they were doing and they had to try and they implemented those into AD&D, I mean, into third edition. And uh, well, not only did the people evolve that were playing it, but they wanted to make sure that people were going to buy their game. So they had to update it. Right. <laughs> Well, that's that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're you are correct, but I, that's kind of a almost cynical view of, of. No, that's what happens when when things change. You oh, have okay. to update stuff. I thought you meant like like a cash grab is like the you no. put out new books so you can make more money. As Which, other RPGs are being created and and making changes or oh, yeah. or coming out with different kinds of rules, then people might and and they see people like those, they're gonna make it implemented right. into their edition. Right, and so I think uh, I think it 
D and D is a good example of that third edition. Now I don't know about streamlined because it didn't become easier third edition or I'm including three point five because basically they're the same thing. Uh, three point five and three third edition is almost the same thing. So I didn't streamline and probably it, the rules got a little bit more complicated, but they did that because just the way their ideas were about what the rules, what they wanted to do with the rules, what you could do with the rules and stuff. So, uh, and as far as advancing the, the, the setting, D&D hasn't had a real setting since, well, they did. They came out in third edition. They came out with Faroon, uh, setting the at the Faroon Atlas I forget what it's called Forgotten Realms and they came out with a Dragonlance setting and they had a couple settings but I think the one that really stuck and the one that was most popular is probably Faroon or Forgotten Realms and uh they did away with Greyhawk I think it depends on on who you're talking to because some people like the other one yeah well there's Greyhawk and then I mean in AD&D they had Dark Sun and they had a bunch of different settings but uh they were basically uh they didn't use them, you know, and they still haven't produced one. I think that's one of the big people get excited when D and D Wizards of the Coast talk about putting out a new book, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna get a new setting." And I think, oh, there was Eberron. Eberron came out with third edition, which was he won a contest. There was a, a, a setting writing contest, and the guy who wrote in—I forget his name at the moment—but he wrote and he won, and so he they published his setting. Saul bought all of the, the, I think it was Forgotten Realms. Is it all the Forgotten uh, yeah. Realms? I think you have the other one too, don't you? Or did you just pick one? I just picked one because when I started the camp, I, I've told the story before, but when I started the third edition game, once I read the book and I bought, oh, this is a good system. And I bought the first three books, you know, the Monster Manual, the Monster Manual, the Player's Handbook, and the DM's Guide. I I even asked my players and who were, would be my players or would be players. I say, hey, what setting do you want to do you want to go buy or should I go buy or should we make our own right homebrew our own system? They didn't answer him at all, so yes. he just picked one. I just picked Faerun, and I think I'm glad I did because it's a really rich world. A lot of people don't like that because it has so much history and so much things written about it, it's things that are considered canon. But you know, I don't really pay attention to that stuff and but it works because in, even with fifth edition i can go back to those books and have the all the the setting is there yeah and there's a lot of stuff written in there forgotten rooms book is i've already talked about it in the past episodes it's really well written there's a lot of information i think the the font is a little small you know? it's very small okay i thought it, it was smaller than what a normal it's not 11 point font i don't think because there's just no, so much i had to get out my 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 reading glasses <laughs> your readers read but but it does, and even in, and and it's amazing because I read all this stuff about by Waterdeep, the area around oh, yeah, Waterdeep, yeah, yeah. and I said uh, one of my games there because we had been in Waterdeep, so I go oh, okay, what's next to it? And then he handed me this these books, <laughs> and I'm like okay. But now I see in the fifth edition, all a lot of the things deal with this particular area, right? Yes, yes, and and it's become the de facto setting for D&D Forgotten Realms like it or not so it didn't become more streamlined third edition and it, as far as advancing the, the the setting that didn't really happen you know because like I said well in, in third edition it did because they came out with favorite, the Forgotten Realms books which gave you uh, a setting that they had done in, in, in the second edition and 
and AD and D. They had the, all these box sets, and uh, they did advance the the setting. You know, they uh, they did add to it. They gave more information, and I think it was really well done. I mean, there's a lot of information in the in the Forgotten Realms book campaign setting book, and uh, I really like it. A lot of people don't, but but I think it's really there's a it's just full of information and this and it's full of information that can help you spark ideas for adventures or a whole campaign obviously since it's a campaign setting so i really liked it so it does do two out of the three right it's a better set of rules in my in my eyes than than the previous edition and uh it does advance the setting as far as making it streamlined it, it was a pretty complicated set of rules now Going from a third edition slash five fifth edition slash Pathfinder, you go to fourth edition, which you, you I, said that wrong. Third edition three point five. Three point five. What did I say? Fifth. Oh, sorry. Yeah, three point five and Pathfinder. I, I'm scrunching them all together because they're all very similar and they all basically are the same thing. Three point five tweaked a this lot. This is of in rules. in Saul's opinion. Yes, three point five tweaked through third edition, and then Pathfinder basically. Uh, went through and changed all kinds, not changed all kinds of stuff, but tweaked all kinds of things to try to make it uh, make it more understandable and clear up a lot of the, the inconsistencies that kind of kind of propped up in the, both of those editions. And I and I switched to Pathfinder, right? So I switched to Pathfinder because it's not, it wasn't D and D, you know, in name and right copyrights. They came out with their own world, uh, Galorian. And I actually bought the setting for that book, for that, for that, for Pathfinder, and it's really good, well done too. Uh, but it's all I'm scrunching them all together because they're all a third edition iteration. Fourth edition, well, uh, people like fourth edition, a lot of people didn't, and uh, and the and the one big way you can say that this is true is sales, right? When they went for fourth edition, sales for fourth edition were not robust. Uh, they sold it, and people bought it, and people played it. But compared to Pathfinder, which you know, was basically the overtook or took over D and D, Pathfinder was outselling fourth edition quite by quite a bit. And I remember those days, you know, when we were playing Pathfinder, and and uh, and fourth edition was out, and a lot of people like in a in a in a con scene and on and online people were not playing fourth edition as much as they were pathfinder and the numbers and the sales numbers bear that so fifth edition and i think fifth edition really hits on all three of those things as far as as far as uh modernizing the rules right all the three criteria i listed modernization of the rules you have a well-written set of rules. I mean, and that's another thing. A well-set, a well-written set of rules, and uh, they're pretty clear. They took out a lot of the crunch that I thought people, uh, some people didn't like. It got too fiddly with. You had to use uh, pieces on the map, you know, because that determined whether you could use certain feats, and uh, and. And they eliminated all kinds of stuff, you know. They they eliminated all the all the number crunching. Oh, I get plus three for this feat. I get plus two when when Jim is three feet away from me. And they built in the idea of of creating your character for role playing 
not, and not just murder hoboing. <laughs> that's the modernization of the rules, right? So to me, that's modernization of the rules, eliminating all kinds of crunch, uh, a str- you know, and 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 uh, and that's that's a kind of a modern idea in RPGs. Uh, and I say modern, you know, I say newer ideas, and even though it's been around probably for twenty years, easy. Uh, it wasn't mainstream, right? You had this indie RPG press out there that were making these games that were that were different. They weren't D and D, and and they were coming out of this idea of storytelling instead of having these little miniatures on the map and on a on a table and and crunchy numbers and stuff. So. As I recall, your friends called them touchy feely games. Yes. Oh yeah, I remember that those days. Yes, touchy feely games. And and we, you know, us being old hardcore uh, people who used to play uh, Advances and Dragons, we didn't fall into that demographic that wanted to play those touchy. The games. younger, more hip generation, right? <laughs> younger and hip. Twenty years ago, younger and hip. Yeah, we were, and we were old fuddy duddies. I mean, to a certain extent, we were. We they still are old fuddy duddies. Yeah, now we really are old fuddy duddies. <laughs> but you know, twenty years ago, we weren't. But we just weren't ready for. Change is hard. Yes, sometimes it is. But those other people that loved touchy-feely games, you know, and I think a lot of that came from, I think Vampire was probably the big deal that, that changed a lot of things and said, oh, and it was extremely popular, which gave a lot of independent, uh, or what sprouted a lot of independent games, right? So 5th edition comes along. It's a moder- and it modernizes this idea of, of making D&D a role-playing game, not just a miniatures on a map game, and incorporating that in the rules in the player's handbook. You know, it talks about, uh, what are they called? I forget. It's been a while. Your tra- traits? No, no not traits. The, your, your background. Yeah, your background. And, and that's something that was not included in any player's handbook before. It was included in 5th edition because... A lot of pl- new players. That's what they wanted. Or well, and it, was... it, it was. I thought it was cool. I thought it was one of the coolest things because when we were playing Pathfinder with the boys, trying to get a backstory out of kids is hard, right? But even even the adults it was just a couple of us, right? But backstories are. It's easier to make a backstory if with these with these ideas that they give you for your character, right? So right. it helps you to build your idea for your character as you're creating it. Yes. That's what I think. That's why I always like to take a little extra time in creating the character. I don't want to have to do it on the spot. I don't want to have to come up with it right then. I want to think about it, right? So it gives you a little bit more, so you have more time to come up with your ideas and stuff, which makes it more role-playing and less crunchy, kind of. Yes, less motor hoboy too, <laughs> supposedly. And that's and that's a modern idea. Streamlined. Uh, in the second part of, of what I was talking about, they did away, like I said, they did away with all this, all this pluses and uh, pluses for this and plus for that. They said, well, if you have, they some, just made it an advantage, right? right? If you have an advantage, then you have advantage, and they, you get to roll that d twenty twice and take the better result. And the opposite of that is disadvantage. And I thought it was pretty brilliant. I thought it was pretty neat. And I was like, I was. It was hard for me to let go of that plus five for this and plus five for that. Like I would, and even the, I, I would even get caught. Oh, you get a plus five for this, uh, for for doing it this way, for having the high ground or something like that, right? But and then my players would go, well, there's no plus five for that. You just have advantage or disadvantage. I go, oh yeah, that's right. And I'm like, well, that that's pretty cool. I don't have to think about any numbers, you know, or how much of a plus I would have to give you. Or what the 
circumstances dictate. Well, you you know, they would have told you what kind of plush you needed to give them if they you didn't bother. But what I'm to. saying is, I didn't need to anymore. Yes. So, creating a character because of all because of this, uh, creating characters streamlined right there's a lot less rules to to worry about there's you know feats they still have feats but they don't have these massive amount of feats and the problem was with those feet trees of fifth edition third edition and pathfinder all through those that time yes third through pathfinder editions is that if you uh so when you would pick a feat they would have these feet trees kind of where they would branch out and you would have these prerequisites and a prerequisite for this and prerequisite for that uh, to be able to get to uh, the the really you know when you got higher level these feats that did uh, no, no crazy things, but sometimes if you if you made a bad choice early you couldn't choose those feats because they were cut off because the feat tree wouldn't quite work out, and a lot of people who didn't look at it you know oh well, when I'm you know, un- unlike my son and his friends who like well when I'm for third level I can pick this feat and when I'm sixth level I pick this one and by the time I'm 12th level I could pick this one and so they would plan out their career not a lot of people a lot of people probably didn't do that they just pick a feat because it sounded cool and then it turned out well that feat doesn't really do what I wanted to do or it's not as cool as I thought it was blocked off other things that you rather have later on so a lot of that is gone Right, and so that makes it easier for a person who's making a character saying, "Well, don't have, you don't have to worry about feats and how it's going to impact your character when you're ten levels higher." So a lot of the reasons they make new additions is because people have been playing them and they give them a bunch of feedback, right, about what Correct. they want, what they like, what they don't and like. And that's totally true, right? I mean, and that's what, and that's what's also very valuable about a new edition is, hopefully. Hopefully, the the publishers, the editors, the the game creators, they take this information and they go, "Oh yeah, you're right. This doesn't work, or this is a problem, or this mechanic does not do what we think it does. It's not, or it doesn't run smoothly, or whatever the problem is." And if they're able to figure things out and fix it in the new edition, then that's great. I think that's what happened in third edition when they came out three three point five, right? They Basically came out with a product that was kind of, I don't want to say rushed, but it was obviously had some some issues and they tried to fix them in 3.5. And that's what 3.5 is all about. It's just all these little tweaks, all these little uh, things that happened that made 3.5 necessary in the eyes of the publisher. A lot of people thought that it was just they wanted to sell more books and it's a cash grab. But I think there were definitely fixes to the game that warranted a new edition, even though. I really didn't want to buy There it. are other RPGs besides Dungeons and Dragons that have new additions. Yes. No? <laughs> and and in fifth edition did advance the, the, the setting. Uh, all kinds of weird things happen in the fifth edition setting for Forgotten Realms. Unfortunately I never bought that uh, I don't know if there's a setting guide, but I never advanced the setting. So I'm still using the third edition timeline and uh and it still works. I mean, there's no reason why I can't use it and why there was like all kinds of weird things happening. But people like things to change. They don't like a static world. They like things, mixing things up. And I think 5th edition did all kinds of things in Forgotten Realms to do exactly that. And uh, when I said you needed to talk about more stuff, I didn't mean you had to talk faster. <laughs> no, I do, actually. So other games other than D- D&D, right? I'm using D&D as an example because it's a really good example because there's so much change that's happened in that game because it's been around so long. But other games like 
Shadowrun is a good example. Now, it's a good example for the, the advancing of the, of the, of the game world, of the game setting. I wouldn't say uh, all the editions from f- uh, 1st edition Shadowrun to 6th edition Shadowrun meet all that criteria that I said, you know, they, whether they streamlined or modernized the rules. In fact, but- I think Shadowrun 5th edition kind of took three steps back into not modernizing, but just like really digging into the crunch. I've talked about that. We did an episode about Shadowrun by itself. But what I do like what they did is they had definitely advanced the the game setting. Well, they had to. Because they had to, right? Because the others, the previous editions didn't take into account some modern ideas that happened in the real world. And would it make sense why they wouldn't show up in the game setting world? You know, well, the, it has to do with when the when the editions were written and right. what the actual world had at the time. And the original Shadowrun did really interesting things of forecasting what the future might be like. And of course, they used well, they used you know obviously some science fiction writers' ideas and stuff, and mix in some really neat ideas about uh, the Aztec calendar and all this other stuff in twenty twelve and stuff. But they didn't you know forecast a, a few things. That is pretty hard to forecast. Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is a huge one, right? And the fact that Wi-Fi exists and and you didn't need to jack in. You know, that was a classic uh, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk idea is that you will have these uh, plugs like you would in a stereo, old stereo from uh, 1970s, and you would plug into a uh, a jack and be able to communicate that way, like to like a network jack and stuff like that. But it they never envisioned Wi-Fi, and and Wi-Fi came along, and and Wi-Fi came along and said, "Why are people still jacking in?" And I think, like I think we talked about it in fourth edition. I think fourth edition tried to say, "Well, people don't trust Wi-Fi, and they're not going to open up their big, big mega business to Wi-Fi, so they're going to have closed networks. So you're going to have to literally jack in." Still, we talked about that in the in the Shadowrun thing, but but it's important to talk about it because it did change. The, the world and now everybody carries a computer in their pocket <laughs> that can literally almost like a comm unit in Shadowrun, and so and you can and you can look everything up on it so it's i mean it, it they they got it right in one sense except for the actually having to plug into something because now you don't have to do that because of wi-fi Correct. And everything is connected, and everybody does their banking and all kinds of stuff on it. So, so they so the trust issue is is something that you know is a modern thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think even even though in the real world, there was some. I remember, I still remember to this day that said that we're not gonna we're not gonna put anything online that that would open us risk to hackers and things being stolen and information being given out, and it just became like. And now everybody knows a, everything about you without you having to say, do anything. That was a serious concern, and it was probably a true concern. But I guess it made more, uh, what, fiscal sense to go online because otherwise you just get left behind. And that's exactly what happened in Shadowrun 4th Edition is that it didn't make this any more sense. That idea that, well, you would have a closed network just to protect it uh, wasn't, wasn't true in the real world. And it didn't make sense in the game world. So when Fifth Edition came out, they included Wi-Fi and and all these other things that were obviously going to change the way things were done in the game world. And I thought it was an interesting addition to the rules. Now, the rules though, 
became extremely more crunchy, so they didn't streamline that. And modernization, I don't know if they modernized the rules. They tried to, I think they tried to incorporate a lot. I think two out of the three are kind of like, eh, about 5th edition. and uh, But definitely the game world had to change the setting because of real world events and real world advances in, in the way people did business and the way people communicated. There's other games that would that could use a, a new edition. Uh, one would be like they've talked about it is the Dark Conspiracy. It's gone through three editions or maybe a, f- a fourth edition, and they tried to come out with a new one, but uh, that campaign failed. But I really like Dark Conspiracy. Uh, it, it started. It came out in the early '90s, and it shows right when you look at the the rules of Dark Conspiracy from back then. It's not a modern game. It could use a new edition. Uh, to make it easier, to make it more accessible to new players. And uh, and I don't know if they're ever going to come out with a new edition, but that's the kind of game that would benefit from a new edition and hopefully be able to give uh, new players a chance to play in this world. Yes, there's also, we talked about before, Twilight uh, thir- 2013. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and the new editions of it because the world actually changed, right? Because right. it was Twilight 2000. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. <laughs> That's an interesting thing that happened was uh, Twilight 2000 was a game that came out in the early 80s. And it seemed t- 2000 would be this 15 years in the future. The Third World War would happen. And, well, luckily for us, Third World War did not happen. And we're still here. And... The so Twilight, they came out with a new edition. And the Twilight to, War did not happen. It, yeah. Right. And so in the midst of quite a few years ago now, I think it was 2008, they decided uh, somebody got a, a hold of the license and they came out with Twilight 2013. Classical mistake. They set the year too close to the year they're living in. They could have made it 2025. They would. I think they would have been safe. But they made it 2013, which was only five, five years ahead of their when they were publishing. I didn't start playing it or looked at the rules until 2012 and I ran it in 2014 or 13. And it was just funny because it was like, wow, free league, a game publisher that I really like, they got the rights to it. And they're like, we're not even going to mess with the timeline. We're going to keep it to 2000. And we're just going to say that, well, we're just going to say that something happened in 2000. You're playing in the year 2000. So you're not. It's kind of like going back and playing uh, like Tales from the Loop, where the setting is the '80s, right? Or, or any other game that's like that. So they just, we're not going to advance the timeline. We're just going to make you play in the year 2000. So that has not come out yet, but it's definitely uh, less crunchy than than the original rules. They totally redid the rules. They're not uh, using anything uh, from the old rules as far as the mechanics are concerned, and. For a lot of people who love the old system, uh, they're probably not not too happy about that. But uh, but I think by, but I think because it's a more modern game system, I think it might attract new players. Uh, the Kickstarter did amazingly well, and I think it's it's, good, it's just going to be a little bit easier for new players to get into that game than than using the old system. So the conclusion of this whole episode is that these new additions, there's always things that are have been improved or changed that people wanted to have done right if it's done right and hopefully they're trying to make it a better system and not just want money as some people would put out i think most publishers and most creators who write an rpg 
are not doing it for the money. They're not just putting out a new edition because I need more money or I want to sell more books. No, they, they really see they see feedback come back from the old edition and they're like, well, yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, this could be fixed. And they're trying to make it more accessible to people. Yep. And I think that's a good thing, right? If somebody has a game in their mind, they want as many people to play it as as possible. And secondly, I think is money. But two is, is the first one is that they just really want their system out there. They want their game world out there. And they want people to enjoy playing in that world. And most new editions that do well are games that modernize their old system. They streamline the rules to make it easier less of a barrier of entry for people to get into and they update the game setting especially if uh, a lot of time has passed or there's been a lot of advances in in it's you know it's if it's a modern game or even just giving it a new experience for people who have already played in that world things aren't static and the most important thing to remember is if you have bought all of the books for a certain edition and you're game group likes it you don't have to buy a new edition correct you because that just means that you're going to buy a bunch more books yeah which most people don't have a problem with but <laughs> some people you know don't want to spend that extra money right and you know and like i said in the past the, the rpg police are not going to come to your house and take your books away from you i've never heard you say that but <laughs> <laughs> i just started it then <laughs> but there you go so if there's a new edition out there you want to try i say go for it or at least read it and see if you like it right and then go back to the old one if you don't like it there you go there you go this is gaming perspectives with Saul and Jolene have a good day